Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, February the 2nd. Uh, Jan Fran is here with me. And Jan, unlike a lot of other people, Australian billionaires have made a lot of money during COVID. Oh, they killed it during the pandemic. The combined wealth of Australia's billionaires jumped, get this, more than 50% in 2020. And there's been massive companies that have been propped up by JobKeeper. We just can't afford to be giving government dollars to firms that are using them to assist billionaires and millionaires. Yeah, so should these big firms and the billionaires be sharing more of their wealth? That's our briefing topic for today. But first, to what is making news, and we start with PM, who has stepped up the government's ambition on climate change policy. Our goal is to reach net zero emissions as soon as possible and preferably by 2050. Yeah, so that's a pretty big call from the Prime Minister. Last year, he was saying net zero sometime in the second half of this century, which could so have been... So 2099, maybe. Yeah, so now he's talking about 2050. So that's a big step up and relatively bold in a coalition party room where this has been a vexed issue for many, many years. Now, this is possibly in response to the Biden administration taking a lead on climate Joe Biden, as we know, re-entered the Paris Agreement that Donald Trump pulled out of. He did that, I think, in the first 20, 24 to 40 hours of taking office. Morrison did reiterate that science and technology and not taxes would be at the heart of those efforts. Yeah, so this is what he was saying about it back in September, just to give you some idea. People get very focused on, on the politics of these commitments, but what I'm focused on is on the technology that delivers lower emissions, lower costs and more jobs. Okay. That's what actually matters to people. I don't think this is a massive move. I know we said that he, he'd stepped up his policy. It's a small step. It's a little tiny step in the right direction. He hasn't come out and said that we will achieve net zero by 2050. He said hopefully by 2050, which is interesting because there's been more than 110 countries that have signed up to net zero by 2050, including our largest trading partners. Well, China wants carbon neutrality. I am going to say that word correctly. By 2060. So I think he's under pressure globally hasn't quite made that firm commitment. And we're waiting to see what the Prime Minister said about JobSeeker, and he didn't give a commitment about extending the payment over and above the old new start rate, which is expected to go back to $40 a day at the end of March. Um, but we still are expecting there will be an announcement on that before we get to that point. One of the former players at the centre of the AFL racism scandal, Heretier Lumumba, has called the club's response to a report that found systemic racism at the club bizarre. Yeah, in a series of tweets, he also said that it was disturbing to see how easily Eddie Maguire, the club's president, and the board members reduced the severity of this profound and enduring harm to mere mishaps. Yeah, yesterday we learned that a report came out which found systemic racism at the Collingwood Football Club and that it had caused severe damage to First Nations and African players who, quote unquote, paid a high price for speaking out. Now, Lumumba was one of those players. He's been public about his experience of racism at the Collingwood Football Club for years now. Yeah, but this is how uh, Collingwood President Eddie Maguire started yesterday's press conference about this report. This is an historic and proud day for the Collingwood Football Club. I don't know if you'd use the word proud while responding to a report that's found systemic racism at a club that you've been the head of for 23 years, but nonetheless, he did deny that there was systemic racism. We're not a racist club. We're a club that tries to do well and we make mistakes. We're a big church. But what we want to do more than anything is to put arms around and take the heat out of this constant race debate. Yeah, it's an interesting way to deal with it. I I think, you know, Eddie Maguire saying that, you know, they were proud was 
one of the things that Lumumba found bizarre. I'm not surprised by that. The AFL's Executive General Manager of the League's Inclusion and Social Policy, Tanya Hosh, she was on 7.30 last night and she was asked about those comments. Perhaps not the form of words that I would uh, highlight. Um, Obviously a very sobering day. Um, Confronting issues of racism is uh, never easy. I guess the question is around Eddie Maguire and whether or not he will step down. We know that he's wrapping up the season, I believe, at the end of 2021, but whether he'll step down sooner, I guess, remains an open question at this point. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on him to do that. But, you know, when he was saying he was proud, he was saying that the club commissioned this report and they are, you know, facing it head on. So that's his argument. Donuts in WA for at least the last 24 hours, uh, with no new cases of COVID-19 recorded as the state rounds off day two of its five-day lockdown. Getting there. Yeah, the fact that there hasn't been any new cases has led some to argue that locking down nearly 80% of the state's population because of one case was a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, a slightly different opinion, though, from epidemiologist Tony Blakely. He's told Channel 10 that actually we might see more cases yet. There were only 3,000 tests, and we're used to seeing 20 to 30,000 tests per day in New South Wales and Victoria. The second thing is some of these contact sites are only two to six days ago, so somebody who might have picked it up in that window would not yet have got to the point where they're giving the virus off themselves. Yeah, which is why I guess they've locked down for five days, so we'll see what happens in the next few days. There are also reports that Western Australian officials took 11 hours to notify the country's key COVID decision-making body about the case. Uh, and that kind of delay could be in breach of pandemic protocols. This is an interesting space to watch because the WA state election is in six weeks and McGowan is incredibly popular. I think he, he got to a point last year where he had a near 90% approval mm, rating. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone would be happy with that. So it'd be interesting to see how this unfolds and whether or not it either damages him or bolsters him, depending on how he reacts to it. Yeah, he copped a bit of flack from the New South Wales Deputy uh, Premier yesterday, John Barillaro. So it's it's a divisive move, this one. Such a strong reaction to one case, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. There's been a military coup in Myanmar with the country's democratically elected leader detained in early morning raids. Now, this is a Pretty dramatic development here. Yeah, the leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, she actually spent 15 years under house arrest and now we're seeing she's been removed by power and detained by the military again after winning a recent election in a landslide. Yeah, the military claims that it's concerned about election fraud. It has voided the November win and declared a state of emergency that will run for a year before another election is held. Yeah, it's a major setback for Western-backed efforts to restore democracy in the Southeast Asian country. It had only begun to really flourish in the last few years. The detained leader says accepting this development will put the country back under a dictatorship. And our Trade Minister, Dan Tian, he's voiced Australia's deep concern and may reimpose trade sanctions there. All right, in just a moment, we are talking billionaires. COVID pandemic. It's been a wild time to be an Australian billionaire. Yeah, Gina Reinhart, she's at the top of the pile. When the AFR rich list came out in October, her wealth had doubled to around $29 billion. I'm sorry, I don't understand that number. I can't fathom that amount of money. Do you get the doubled bit? That, <laughs> like, that's... that's the key bit, isn't it? Yeah, well, Twiggy Forrest's wealth had tripled. 
The rich list put his net worth at $23 billion. Both Twiggy and Gina are riding high on the booming iron ore price and that's driven by a construction boom in China. Yeah, some other notable mentions are the Atlassian founders, Mike Cannon-Brooks and Scott Farquhar. Uh, Their wealth almost doubled in the year to October to around $17 billion each. Yeah, when Bloomberg tailed all of this up, Australian billionaires saw their wealth go up by 50% during the pandemic. Yeah, and the Aussie billionaires did particularly well because in the US and the UK, um, billionaires saw their wealth go up by 25%. So compared to the Aussies at 50%. 25%? Terrible. <laughs> so on today's briefing, we're asking, is this fair? Should they be sharing their wealth? Yeah, especially given people have had such a tough time during the pandemic. When you think back to the start, remember when everyone was like cheering for the nurses, they were clapping, the frontline workers in supermarkets, delivery drivers, teachers, yeah. cleaners. Well, they're paid wages and wages have stayed flat. And overall, the economy during that same period as the rich list went backwards 3.8%. So I guess the question is, how do we stop wealth disparity getting even worse from here? Andrew Lee has a few ideas. He is a Labor MP. Uh, He's the Shadow Assistant Minister for Treasury, and he was also a Professor of Economics before he went into politics. Andrew Lee, thanks for joining us. It's it's mind-blowing to see how the year panned out for billionaires. Is there an inherent unfairness here? And should more of that money be trickling down to everyday Australians? It is astonishing to see how well billionaires have done this year. I mean, when I first looked at the figures, I expected billionaires might have increased their wealth a little bit, given that the stock market's done better than the labour market. But a 50% increase in the average wealth of billionaires is just astonishing. Uh, And it does suggest that uh, there is an opportunity for billionaires to show they're part of the Australian community and that they, they understand that we're all in it together. Um, particularly for those billionaires whose firms have benefited from government support via the JobKeeper program. Uh, It's a chance for them to uh, say to those firms, uh, give the money back, given that we didn't need it. Yeah, we'll get to the JobKeeper debate in a moment, but let's look at that rich list. Right at the top is Gina Reinhart and Twiggy Forrest. Um, Gina's 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 wealth has doubled. Um, Twiggy Forrest has tripled. Um, They're both profiting from iron ore. That's, That's a resource that's in the ground, in Australia. That's our resource. So are they sharing their wealth enough? Uh, There's always going to be a question about uh, the fairness of the tax system and also whether people are engaged in sufficient philanthropy. Uh, If you look at philanthropy in Australia compared to the United States, for example, it's uh, more modest. On the other hand, our top uh, income groups do pay a little bit more tax than they do in the US. Uh, So we need to make sure that we've got the system that's fair. Uh, And we do know that this has been a generation in which uh, billionaires have performed a whole lot better than battlers, uh, in which wages have basically been flatlining for many people, uh, while the wealth of billionaires has been going up. You see that in the housing market too. Those who have multiple investment properties have done well out of the property boom. Uh, those who haven't managed to get in finding themselves locked out of the property market. Uh, so I worry too much that Australia is splitting into a nation of the haves and have-nots. Yeah, the other big um, boom in wealth has been in the tech sector. You know, the top 10 wealthiest people in the US are almost all tech entrepreneurs now. In the Australian top 10 rich list, you've got the Atlassian co-founders who are doing really well. Their wealth is almost double. Do we need to think about how that sector's sharing its its profits and its wealth differently? And um, we note in the US, Bernie Sanders suggested a 60% one-off wealth tax, which would affect a lot of those tech entrepreneurs. Is that the sort of idea you would support? 
Look, I don't think that's uh, likely to be feasible in Australia, but I do think it's important that uh, those billionaires are conscious of uh, their social responsibility for Australia. Uh, at least in the context of tech billionaires, you've got people who are making their wealth out of creating new products and services for uh, the Australian community, uh, rather than taking advantage of increased prices of, uh, in a market in which they're doing little to, uh, to shape the prices. I know the Atlassian co-founders have placed a significant emphasis on philanthropy and also on encouraging philanthropy within the firm. I'd frankly like to see more of that through Australia's corporate sector. Yeah, Twiggy Forrest has been big on that as well. But that, I guess, depends on them being good citizens. Do we need different laws that mean that all all billionaires are you know, participating in that kind of philanthropy or, or finding other ways to share the wealth more equally? Well, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates have uh, led the charge in terms of asking billionaires to give back a significant share of their wealth to the community. Uh, and uh, that sort of ethos uh, will hopefully permeate through to uh, Australia's billionaires. Uh, we haven't always seen it. Uh, often some of our billionaires have been uh, focused uh, just on themselves and their families and uh, their contribution to uh, philanthropic causes uh, has been smaller as a share of income uh, than many middle-class families. Now, I hope that shifts. I hope there is a recognition that with uh, great wealth comes an obligation to give back to the community uh, and that wealth is created in a social context in which people uh, have the, uh, the the chance to make use of their skills. Uh, it doesn't uh, just uh, come as a result of pure hard work, as the old uh, Anne Rand myth would have it. So one debate that's happening now is whether companies that have done well in the last year should be paying back JobKeeper money that they got from the government, which essentially means our taxes. Now, some companies have done this voluntarily, Toyota uh, being one of them, And here's what the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, said when asked whether they should be forced to pay it back. I would welcome any business that decided to pay that money back. But Why don't you require to do so? Because, again, that was not what they signed up to when they took the JobKeeper payments. That was the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, there on ABC's Insiders. Andrew Lee, what what do you think? Should these profitable companies be forced to pay back JobKeeper? Well, I think we need to firstly call out the firms which are receiving JobKeeper, uh, paying executive bonuses, paying big dividends uh, and enjoying increased profits. One of those would be Premier Investments. Uh, Another one is Harvey Norman. Uh, We've seen significant uh, largesse being given by firms to their corporate executives at a time in which we've got a million people out of work and another million people wanting more hours, uh, it just doesn't seem fair that you've got government subsidies going to prop up executive bonuses at firms which are enjoying a profit bonanza. So you would just encourage them to pay it back. If you could speak to one of those people who runs those companies now, what would you say to them exactly? Your firm has a corporate responsibility policy. It says that it's uh, committed to helping not just its shareholders but the community. Uh, Yet the way in which you put that in place is through giving small donations to charity every year. If you're really serious about your corporate social responsibility pledge, now's the time to put it into action. Uh, Follow the lead of firms like Super Retail Group, Toyota Australia and Domino's, which have voluntarily given back JobKeeper payments. Uh, that would be the message that I'd be, I'd be sending to uh, these firms and, uh, and I think, frankly, uh, their customers and their shareholders would welcome them doing the right thing. 
That sounded quite well rehearsed. <laughs> Look, I've uh, I've been uh, been, uh, been banging on this drum for, uh, for for a couple of months now. I think it's uh, it's something that's uh, high time we look at, look into harder. So you're not advocating that we force them to do that. You're sort of taking the same line as the treasurer. It sounds. Well, the treasurer is just going to say he he welcomes anyone and pays it back, but he's not going to call out those that are paying executive bonuses. Uh, and in that, he's completely at odds with uh, the tax office and the Business Council of Australia, uh, who say that you should not be getting government subsidies and using it to pay executive bonuses. Is there no way to force them to do it? This encouraging business sounds a little bit wishy-washy. Can you not force them to do it? Well, in New Zealand, they, ha- they have a repayment scheme, and uh, that, that's, uh, that's something that was put in place from the outset. Uh, you know, if they're not uh, moving on it, then obviously there's going to be uh, a growing pressure for firms to be forced to the right, do the right thing. Is there a way uh, to do I that, hope- though? Because Josh Frydenberg's argument uh, when he spoke about this on Sunday was that these weren't the conditions in which that money was given in the first place when JobKeeper was set up. So he was saying there's no way to force them to give that back given that situation. Look, he's technically right, but it's the tax office that said very clearly that if you're paying executive bonuses, you shouldn't be getting JobKeeper. Uh, given that the tax office has taken a pretty firm line on executive bonuses, I think it's appropriate that Josh Frydenberg starts to call out those firms uh, that are acting at odds with what the tax office says, uh, that are getting taxpayer subsidies and using it to pay multi-million dollar bonuses to executives. I mean, look at Premier Investments. They paid a $2.5 million bonus to a CEO who's finishing up on $5 million. Uh, now, I'm guessing most of your listeners are nothing nothing close to a $5 million annual salary. Now, I don't know many people in Australia uh, won't earn $5 million in a lifetime. Uh, so the fact is that at a time when we're facing down a recession and a pandemic, uh, we need every government dollar we can get. And we just can't afford to be giving government dollars to firms that are using them to assist billionaires and millionaires. Labor MP and economist Andrew Lee there. And Jen, I think the housing market will be an interesting one to watch this year with record low interest rates. They're predicting massive growth. And for young people that don't have the capital or the deposit ready to get into the housing market, that can turn into a total nightmare. Yep, totally. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, we're taking a look at the Tokyo Olympics. They've already been postponed for one year. What is the chance that they're going ahead and how are athletes preparing for this bizarre situation? We're going to speak to the head of the Australian Olympic Committee. A Podcast One production.